Hi everybody, my name is Valentina and I am obsessed with true crime. And now I know what you're thinking. Oh my God, another podcast of a lady talking about true crime and murder. So technically, yes, but hear me out. I am Italian, born and raised in Italy. And I love, love, love Italian true crime. So I thought, why not drag as many people as possible into my obsession? So here we are in the world of bloody pasta, where every two weeks we're going to travel to a specific region or city in Italy. And I will tell you all about a new case. So I hope you will enjoy the ride. Let's go to the first case of bloody pasta. Today we will travel to Bologna in the year 1983. I'm not so sure if you ever traveled to Bologna, so I would like to set up a little bit the scene for you. Bologna is in the north part of Italy and from afar it looks like a sleepy beauty. You will have the vibe of a big town rather than the metropolitan city, which it is. And in the city center, there are two towers, Le Torri de Yasinelli, next to the main square, Piazza Maggiore. And Bologna city center is full of treasure. So churches and butchers, because stuffed pasta is coming from Bologna. Tortellini are there the best. And, but there's a lot of surprise in Bologna too like the hidden waterways. But you are not in Venice, you are in the heart of Emilia-Romagna. Bologna's streets are always full of people. Why? Well, because Bologna is the home of the oldest Europe university. And that means that the streets are always full of students. And you can definitely say that culture has always been ingrained in Bologna DNA. Another peculiar point of Bologna is definitely the arcades, where during the winter you can l find shelter against the wind and fog, and definitely during the summer you can enjoy a little bit of the shade, strolling maybe with a gelato. It's the 15th of June 1983, and summer <laughs> arrived early that year. So we can only imagine temperature are high and very humid. It's Wednesday, Wednesday the 15th of June, and everything looks absolutely normal. But not for someone. Marcello Iori, an artist from Bologna. He's not been able to contact his dear friend Francesca Alinovi for a couple of days. He tried to call her and call her again but nothing so he went to her house the window of her living room at the second floor of via del riccio number seven that window is still open but the door is locked so he calls the firefighters that at 6 30 p.m that 15 of june firefighters arrived and with a ladder they will be able to enter Francesca living room. They notice her among the vinyl, the paintings and the books. 
Francesca is lying on her side on the carpet floor, covered by two big pillows. She is wearing white jeans, flats, a t-shirt and an open vest, like she was ready to leave the house. The scene is bloody and paramedics can only confirm what is clear to all. Francesca is dead. The pathologist will examine her body and discover that she's been stabbed 47 times and most of her wounds on her right side. Long cuts were discovered on her palms, indicating that she attempted to fight against the attacker. Her attacker sliced her carotid in the neck. Francesca did not die for bleeding out. She died by drowning in her own blood. Unfortunately, her death as well was not fast at all. It took more than 10 minutes for Francesca to pass away. Perhaps this is why there were two big pillows on top of her. Because it was summer, all the windows in the, in the street might be open and maybe she was able to gasp and her attacker didn't want her to be heard. So he placed or she placed a pillow on top of Francesca. Then the police noticed immediately a golden Rolex on her wrist. And this watch will be a crucial piece of evidence in this case. The first point for the police was, of course, try to deduct a time of, a, of her death. But due to the heat, the carpet, the direct sun, the two pillows on top of her, well, this alterated and or accelerated her decomposition. So that means then the scientists had a very difficult time to determine a precise time of death. And in fact, Francesca more likely died between 6 and 11 p.m. Sunday the 12th of June. But who hated so much Francesca to kill her in such a way? And more importantly, who is Francesca Linovi? So Francesca was 35 at the time of her death. She was originally from Parma, a city always in Emilia-Romagna, but about one hour and a half west of Bologna. Despite her young age, Francesca was already one of Italy's most prominent art commentator. She was not only an academic as well, but she discovered new talent in Italy too. Francesca founded and launched a art current as well, Emphatism, where she put it together, postmodernist movement with young creative performers, photographer and musician. It was the 80, so it was not common to flew around the world like now. Well, maybe not now because of the situation, but, you know, she was flowing often to go to US and meet with new and young artists from New York. Francesca was, as well, a teaching researcher at DAMS. DAMS is a Bologna University College of Art, formed more or less a decade before Francesca's murder with the help of Umberto Eco. 
Francesca was dynamic, bold, intelligent, and a powerful person. However, in her personal diary, it will unveil all the uncertainty and ingenuity of a young person. Her flat was not only hers, because she used it as a safe space for friends and especially for artists to enjoy her company. Like every good Italian, every time someone was ringing the bell, didn't not open automatically the door, she picked her face outside of the window and checked who was ringing. So she was careful of who was let in her apartment. In the hours immediately after Francesca's body was discovered, the authorities start to interrogate, of course, her friends. Everybody will have nice words to describe Francesca. And when the police ask who might have committed such horrible crime, only one name came to mind. Francesco Ciancabilla. Now I know. Francesco, male. Francesca, female. It can't be more confusing, but this is what it is. Francesco was 24 at the time and he was coming from Pescara in the center of Italy and he was a painter. Francesco was in fact Francesca student from dance and actually he was one of her favorite student. Francesco has been described as shy and a little bit introvert but with a great talent. And Francesca was a big supporter and promoter of Francesco art. The detective didn't take too long to find out that the relationship between Francesco and Francesca was much more than professional. Since they met in the winter of 1982, so the year prior, Francesca had strong feelings for Francesco. Perhaps it was not a romantic and physical relationship at the time of the murder, but still it was a profound and painful attachment. In a later interview, Francesco will say that Francesca was his best friend. According to Francesca's friend, the two had a very toxic friendship with episodes of violence, both physical and verbal. Of course, Francesco denies all the allegations. The drugs fueled the argument between the two. I mean, it was the 80s, right? Drugs was everywhere. And Francesco was a heroin and cocaine addict at the time. Francesca didn't like it at all and tried to stop him over and over and over. Definitely their friendship was strained by Francesco's addiction. But, of course... Because it was the 80s, Francesca was a recreational user of cocaine. So, of course, when police heard about this toxic friendship between Francesco and Francesca, they need to locate Francesco as soon as possible. And they found him in Pescara and drove him back. The officer who was driving him back to Bologna... He will say that he was calm and composed during the four-hour trip from Pescara to Bologna. However, the police officer had the impression 
that he was on the verge of speak or confessing something. We should stop here for a second and go back to the house of Francesca and analyze the crime scene with a forensic expert. So it's 1983 and there would be no DNA collected. There were no evidence of forced entry on the door, implying then of course Francesca must have opened and recognized her attacker. The expert photographed blood splatters and residual on the television and the light switch on the wall close to the entrance, almost like the murderer wanted to turn off the lights. In the apartment, the forensic team found no valid fingerprints or shoe prints, not even in the pool of blood where Francesca's body was discovered. Money was missing from Francesca's wallet, but since a lot of valuables were still in her apartment, plus the golden Rolex on her wrist, I mean, Bulgari was swiftly ruled out. There were no obvious signs of fight in her flat, apart from her, the cuts on her body. In her apartment, they found as well her personal diary. Then the police found a very controversial piece of evidence. Rayban reading glasses in her bathroom. Why they were controversial? Well, these glasses had only one lens on, so that it appears that there have been some struggles happening with these glasses. Plus, all Francesca friend say that she used to normally wear only contact and never seen her with reading glasses. So police needed to figure out who these glasses belonged to and for a long time they thought was left from the attacker. But after long time of investigation they realized then belonged to actually Francesca and normally she was wearing these glasses only at home with very close friends. Then, then they found an even a creepier evidence in her bathroom. A message written with a cosmetic pencil on her window's bathroom. You're not alone anyway. The author of this phrase, we will never figure it out. Actually, Friends of Francesca recalled an, an, an another artist wrote the same phrase in her bathroom months before, but with a lipstick on her mirror. While the scientific data were being analyzed, the investigator, of course, tried to create a timeline for the final days of Francesca. So let's go and walk through her final days. The night before there was an artist party and some of the painters came back with Francesca and sleep in her apartment and they were still there around 1 p.m. that Sunday. Then the painters left and Francesca arrived at Francesco house around 1.30 p.m. Francesco at the time was sharing his apartment with Anna Agari. Then Francesco and Francesca returned at Francesca's 
apartment around 3 p.m. and they spend the afternoon chatting like old friends. As I said, Francesca had a party the night before and she still had a bit of cocaine then they use and consume together. During the afternoon, the police found several phone calls. 3.15 p.m. Francesca, good friend, Gino Gianluzzi, calls for help. Since in the evening of that Sunday there would be an exhibition, Gino asked if Francesca could come a little bit later because uh, they need help to clean it up. But Francesca didn't say yes or no since she wanted to spend time with Francesco because Francesco was leaving that evening to go to Pescara. 4.40 p.m. Aurora, a very good friend of Francesca and a lawyer from Parma, call her and chat with her for just a few minutes. Ten minutes later, 4.50, Maurizio, a university student from Torino, call Francesca. He wants her to, ha- to have a look on his new photographic project and she scheduled a meeting with him on Monday morning. 5 p.m. Aurora, the lawyer from Parma, calls back Francesca and chat with her for around 30 minutes. Now we are approaching a possible time of the death. 6 p.m. At the, this time, only Francesco is present with Francesca in the apartment. Around 7 p.m., Francesco calls Anna, the flatmate, since he needs to go to Pescara and needs to travel by train. So he asks Anna if they're going to meet at the Bologna train station because Anna needs to meet there a friend coming from Firenze. The investigator asks Anna if she recalls any strange noise, but Anna didn't hear any music or sound during the phone call. After calling Anna, Francesco called another friend in Pescara just a few minutes later, 7 p.m., and asked if she can pick him up from Pescara train station. The friend said yes, and Francesco and his group of friends will spend all night until 3 a.m. together no recollection of any strange behavior from Francesco. At 7.30 p.m., Francesco calls back Anna and she confirms that uh, they can meet at the train station at 8 p.m. And again, Anna didn't recall any music or noise in the background. Following these calls, Francesco left Francesca's apartment and took the bus to go to the Bologna train station. At 8 p.m. he met Anna. Anna will testify that Francesco was dressed up in the same way than he left the house at 2.30 p.m. that uh, afternoon. Same t-shirt and same shirts and no visible blood stain. So the fact that he took the bus, it was a little bit strange and Anna asked why Francesca didn't drove him to the train station. And Francesco will say that Francesca didn't feel too good, so he just took the bus. According to close sources to the victim, Francesca frequently drove Francesco everywhere. However, Francesco denied these claims in TV interviews. 
At the train station, Francesco asks Anna to buy some heroin for both of them and give her the money to do so. They consumed the dose together at the station while uh, Anna was waiting for his friends coming from Firenze. Upon their acquaintance arrival from Florence, then Francesco took the train to go to Pescara and stayed there until, of course, the police find him and drove him back to Bologna. Francesco was arrested for Francesca homicide. Five days later, her body was discovered. And the reason? Of course, only this toxic and dysfunctional relationship. He was held in custody until the court date, which was 18 months later. During this 18 months, the scientific report came, but didn't help at all to resolve this case. The creepy phrase, you're not alone anyway? Well, a writing specialist ruled out both of them, Francesco and Francesca, as the author. As I I said prior, we will never know who did it. Francesca was stabbed with a sword which was described as wide and short, like a cheese cutter, or a pencil sharper, which every painter has. Was such blade in Francesco's possession? Not that we are aware of. According to the toxicology report, Francesca took cocaine for the last time around 8 p.m. on Sunday. That means then, of course, he should have been alive at 8 p.m p.m. And since Francesco had already left to go to the train station and was with Anna, it was impossible for Francesco to be her killer. But the fast decomposition or the alterated decomposition made it trivial as well to determine if she consumed for real at 8 p.m. cocaine for the last time. Then there's the watch. Do you remember? The golden Rolex. Well, I need to tell you something. In 1983, there were two types of watches. The one that you need to charge manually every day, or the one that you can charge by the movement. Of course, the latest was typical for expensive watches, like the golden Rolex on Francesca's wrist. That watch would have stopped after a certain time since Francesca last moved. This can give detective a precise time of death. With complicated calculations, scientists established that this particular type of Rolex would have stopped completely after 35 hours. So the police determined that the death occurred at 6.15. The issue is that then when the medical examiner removed the watch from Francesca's body, The issue is when the medical examiner removed the watch from Francesca's body, failed completely to write down time or date which was displayed on the watch. The medical examiner actually returned the watch to Francesca's family, who took it back to Parma and called four days later the police to say that the watch began to move again. The officer on the phone 
then wrote down only the time displayed on the on the watch so we will never know if that 6:15 will be a.m. or p.m. basically scientifically we can never precisely know when francesca died then the blood near the light switch is the final point to consider if the lights of the apartment were turned on that means then it was dark outside and during the summer this occurred around 9 p.m. this means that francesco was not the attacker since he was already on a train to go to pescara the coroner made a very detailed reconstruction of Francesca attack. She was sat on a chair with a friend on her right side, 90 degree to each other. They were chatting normally and maybe Francesca said something which definitely tricked that friend. That person became her killer. This person took that odd weapon from a pocket and start to hit Francesca on her right side. She must have been shocked. That was a friend. It would have been almost natural for her or for everybody just to raise her right arm to cover her head. And to define and to defend her torso, she made the same instinctive action with her, her right leg. So this is why her head wounds was on on her right side. Unfortunately, she was unable to protect her neck and her carotid was sliced. She collapsed on the ground on the carpet where they found her. But her killer was not over. They went on her knees and continued to hit her while she was on the carpet. Their body must have been so close because of the short blade and the killer clothes must have been stained with blood. Then the rage stopped and that person realized what they have done. Maybe a quick clean up in the bathroom, then switch off the lights and run away. All the scientific evidence collected in, c- in this case were inconclusive to clarify who committed this homicide and when it occurred. The toxic connection between Francesco and Francesca was the only lead to Francesco's guilt, with only circumstantial but not real evidence ever found, and not obvious motivation, right? Because the motive why Francesco should have killed Francesca Maybe a heated argument over drugs, over money, but Francesca consumed cocaine with Francesco that night. And actually, the night before, Francesca sold quite a lot of paints of Francesco. What if? What if we remove Francesco just for a second and consider other leads? Why someone should have killed Francesca? Well, Francesca was a critic and she had the ability to introduce unknown talents to the international stage. It is possible 
that one of the artists felt maybe betrayed or misunderstood because of the friendship and the relationship with Francesco. Maybe they have considered Francesca to not be impartial in her criticism and opinion. For me, all of these are very good causes to start an argument which could have degenerated into her murder. The police never fully investigated into these reasons and always believe what friends have said about Francesco and Francesca's relationship. In the five days uh, leading up to Francesco's arrest, the media pushed for a very odd idea. A serial killer. Adam's serial killer. Of course, maybe you don't know, but there would be more murder and killing of people related to Dams. But of course, all these cases between 1982 and 1983, they would be completely distinct from each other. Although the idea of a Dams serial killer was romanticized, of course, vanished so quickly. Perhaps Francesca's diary could have provided more information. She has recently spent holidays in Turkey and reporting in her diary she encountered a drug lord. Was she joking or was she was serious when she wrote it? Who has she met? Could be this a drug dealing murder related? We will never know since even this path was never investigated. In the Alinovi case, the only suspect was Francesco, and with only circumstantial evidence hanging on his head, Francesco will be let free in the trial in 1983. The reasoning of the pardon was due to the lack of evidence. However, in Italy there are three degree of trials. And even if a defendant is declared not guilty in the first degree, they can always be prosecuted again in the appeals process, so in the other two degree. And this is exactly what happened to Francesco. On the 3rd of December 1986, he will be judged guilty. Francesco was sentenced to 15 years in prison plus three years of rehab. You might ask yourself how it's possible that Francesco was found guilty. Well, on the second trial, the prosecutor managed to exclude from the proceeding some inconclusive evidence, inconclusive towards Francesco, and creating a much harder case towards him. And this is how Francesco was found guilty, not only on the second degree, but even on the third, confirming his guilty. But his punishment will be reduced from 15 to 12 years. The sentence motive were as well a little bit nonsensical. The judge will suspect a sexual game between the two, money dispute, or just a drug-filled argument. When the judge read out his sentence, Francesco was not incurred. Actually, Francesco was nowhere to be found.
Francesco ran away. He became a lasitante. He eluded the Italian justice for 11 years, hiding in Brazil and Madrid, before being arrested and extradited back in Italy in 1996. He remained in prison until 2007, when he was eligible for parole. Francesco now is free and is living his life as an artist in Italy. This is when our story ends. Someone was killed and someone had to pay for the price. Was Francesco the cold killer who stabbed his mentor and lover 47 times and went on his life like nothing has ever happened? Well, if you ask the Italian justice, yes. But I do have my doubts. What are your thoughts? Let me know on Instagram at Bloody Pasta Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the first episode. Let me know if you have heard of this murder and what is your favorite Italian murder. Maybe I can cover it here, always on Bloody Pasta. Until this time, ciao guys! <laughs>